Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Friday, May 26th. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. A -a one-of-a-kind jet touched down at Petersburg's James A. Johnson Airport for the first time at approximately 2.10 p.m. last Thursday. The new Boeing 737-800 livery features a Northwest Coast form line design in blue, white, and salmon pink. Alaska Native artist Crystal Worrell designed the aircraft, named Khatkwani, which means salmon people in the Tlingit language. At Petersburg's airport, eager plane spotters like Lee Keenix gathered at the front gate near the tarmac. Keenix and her husband were visiting from Maine for their high school reunion. They were at the airport to pick up their kids, who flew in on the salmon people plane. Keenigs had her smartphone at the ready to capture the moment the plane pulled into the terminal. I'm taking pictures of a very cool new jet. It is so pretty. It has fantastic artwork, really creative, very different. We're, you know, we like the old artwork too, but this is pretty amazing. We had heard about this, this fantasy jet somewhere. And we're like, I wonder if we're going to see it. And we are! World's form-line design is painted on a plane that used to bear another kind of unique livery. The plane's world-famous Salmon 30 Salmon 2 design was phased out in late April. Its first visit to Petersburg fell on a period of particularly high air traffic, the week of the town's Little Norway Festival. Petersburg resident Sue Paulson was at the airport to pick up some passengers exiting the plane, but paused in the parking lot to take in the spectacle. It is remarkable in its beauty and authenticity. And I know it had a lot of publicity, but it's fun to see it in person. Lucky for all of us that are here, it's little Norway, everyone is receiving hundreds of guests. So, of course, we came out and to have this arrive on the same day, a beautiful day like this, is a thrill. Alaska Airlines unveiled the fresh paint job in early May. Since then, Alaskans have celebrated Khatkwani's first stops at other airports across the southeast, including Juneau and Ketchikan. When summer tourists arrive at Harrigan Centennial Hall, they're often greeted by a handful of youthful entertainers. But an effort to expand the qualifications for who can busk at the tourist hub downtown brought up a tough question at the Sitka Assembly meeting on Tuesday. What is entertainment, anyway? And who gets to make that call? Catherine Rose reports from Sitka. Right now, Sitka's municipal code allows youth musicians to perform for donations, or busk, in some designated city spaces, provided they purchase an annual permit for $10. An ordinance the Assembly is considering would replace the word musician with entertainer, opening the privilege up to performers with dancing, acting, or public speaking chops. Assemblymember Tor Christensen said the change was spurred by a young performer who learned her act wasn't technically allowed on the plaza at Harrigan Centennial Hall because it didn't fall into the musician category. One of the kids who was doing stuff here uh, out here was doing a, a kind of a, an interpretive lecture about different pelts that she and her family had collected. And, and it rightly, it was pointed out that she wasn't selling anything and she wasn't playing as an instrument or wasn't a musician. So it didn't fit under the existing code. And this just changes it so that if they're doing 
that or something dance or something that doesn't fit directly under musician, they're still covered. Harrigan Centennial Hall manager Tony Rosas is one of two city staffers in charge of issuing these permits. Rosas felt the code changes were too broad. The current code allows musicians to busk in a limited area outside of the building. Rosas said that privilege was really reserved for youth, and he thought the new changes would open the busking privilege up to everyone. I am not um, anti-youth permit. I, I, I think it's really important for uh, youth to come down here and to learn how to how to you know, work with money, um, take that responsibility to build and do things um, and basically start off um, in front of the public and working with the public and being comfortable with the public. Um, I think that's very important. Some of the language that that was used in this um, from musicians to uh, persons, including juveniles. Um, what does that mean? Um, are we allowing adults? For this, Rosas also worried that the term entertainer is broad and he didn't want to be the one making the call as far as what is or is not entertainment. Um, with the way things are this, these days with um, interpreting what is entertainment, uh, that's a whole different animal. Um, so that is something that is I am an entertainer. This is what I do. No, you can't well, then I'm going to see you because I'm not, you know, letting somebody else do something different. Mayor Steven Eisenbeis said that was always a concern, however, even if the only permit applicants were musicians. Assemblymember Tim Pike agreed, however, that the language needed some adjusting. I think this um, this particular language suffers from, from both having being too vague and too specific at the same time. So entertainer is probably a little too vague and a full list is uh, going to leave something out. I mean, we didn't put whittling on there, for example. So, um, you know, I think um, uh, going forward, it does need some work uh, in order to make this be as specific as we need it to be to to do this. And Assemblymember J.J. Carlson suggested tweaking the language so the code read youth entertainer as a good next step. There's a difference between what is intended and what is written. And when people, you know, 5, 10, 25 years from now look at this, this discussion isn't going to be, you know, a footnote in this ordinance. It's just going to be the words on the page. So attention to the words on the page is what we do as the assembly. With over half a million cruise passengers expected this summer, Centennial Hall will experience an unprecedented amount of foot traffic. Rosas asked the assembly to hold off on passing the ordinance until they had a better handle on how the plaza would look on Sitka's busiest cruise days. But Christensen worried that young entertainers would lose out on peak summer earning months if they didn't move the ordinance to the next step. Ultimately, the assembly approved the ordinance on first reading unanimously. It will come before the assembly again at the next regular meeting in June. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Residents at the Glory Hall, Juno's shelter, are working hard to plant vegetables in their community garden. Staff say the garden brings healing as well as new growth to long-term residents. Yvonne Crumry has more in Juno. At Juno's shelter, Liz Landis carts wheelbarrows of dirt to the 20 raised garden beds she helped build last summer. A few of the residents shovel the soil into the beds while others sit enjoying the sunshine. Landis calls herself a freelance farmer. She helps build community gardens throughout Southeast Alaska. 
Last year, she came to Juno to help build a garden at the Glory Hall's Teal Street Shelter. I shamelessly cried when I saw photos of the garden in full splendor last summer. I, it was amazing. I couldn't believe that in the first year it could be as successful as it was. Landis said the garden thrived under the care of Glory Hall residents. And it wasn't just the food she planted that she saw bloom. One of the residents, William Hunt, took the lead on the garden. He wrote about it in an essay for the Glory Hall's online bulletin last year. He said, This garden literally saved my life. It gave me something to believe in again, a purpose and a calling. Landis says she wants everyone to take the power of growing food into their own hands. And Hunt's story stuck with her. It changed his physical health. It changed his mental outlook. I, in the two weeks I was here, and then I heard it, it continued on throughout the summer. Luke Roman, the Glory Hall's deputy director, said he watched Hunt get stronger and healthier while cutting way back on his drinking. And when one of Hunt's doctors saw him later that summer, he didn't recognize him. I mean, I don't, I don't know if anyone had ever really seen anything like that. It was like a Bible story or something yeah, that, almost. Yeah, that moved me. After last summer, Hunt moved away, but Landis said one resident has already made plans for this year's garden. Yeah. I don't know. I know that this bed, Beverly requested tomatoes and peppers. Beverly. She, she put some heart into it yesterday, and that's, that's really all that's planned at this point. Glory Hall resident Beverly Pacheco says she's been gardening for years, and she's grateful that she can do it here. It speaks to my heart and soul. As a vegetarian, Pacheco is excited about all the food she can help grow. The Glory Hall will use it to make salads and other fresh foods. Potatoes, chives, nasturtiums, they're tasty. It tastes like radishes, actually, kind of a little bit, but you know, they're pretty too. For now, Pacheco is spreading topsoil and compost, anticipating the vegetables to come. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Cremery. The Tundra Youth Home is touted as the first and only transitional housing program of its kind on the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. It's a seven-room, single-occupancy rental for youth ages 17 to 25. As Evan Erickson reports, the home is the brainchild of the Bethel Housing and Homelessness Coalition, Housing and Homelessness Coalition, whose members spoke at the newly renovated property's unveiling earlier this month. Taylor Feitner is the co-director of programming for Bethel at Choosing Our Roots. It's an Anchorage-based nonprofit whose mission is addressing homelessness among LGBTQ plus youth in Alaska. Gosh, I just, like, I'm not going to cry, but, like, each and every one of them is so resilient and so intelligent and so smart and has such big goals and dreams. For now, Feitner will be living alongside and working closely with the first residents of the Tundra Youth Home. We moved six of them in here today, and we're able to give them everything that they need so that tonight when you all clear out and we have some pizza from Uncommon together, we get to sit down one-on-one and start making individualized service plans. Feitner will work with them on things like applying for jobs, getting driver's licenses, and setting up bank accounts. The arc of service is what we've deemed it, um, is we're hoping for a maximum of 18 months. However, it is available through the end of, uh, until someone turns 25. So our ideal is 18 months, so that folks have enough time to um, sort of address their first steps and then begin to save money, gain employment history, build that credit readiness to be able to then secure their own rentals. 
Bethel Community Services Foundation Director Michelle DeWitt said the quick turnaround on the project would not have been possible without the hard work of contractor Mountaintop Repair. DeWitt found the location just six months before the property was ready to be occupied. Housing in our community is a huge struggle, and affordable housing is an even larger struggle. I think, you know, we're probably more than 20 years out from affordable housing development in our community. So um, this, this is a big deal to add on seven units of housing. Feitner, who uses they-them pronouns, is also no stranger to the challenges that come with finding affordable housing. So when I'm working with adults, it's really, really, really hard to find units. When I'm working with young people, it's all but impossible. They explain the ways that young people lacking support systems are especially vulnerable in rural Alaska. So if a young person under the age of 18 um, is houseless, that usually triggers an OCS investigation. And then since there's not a lot of foster homes available on the Delta, just the cycle goes on and on of people being, they have to be removed from Bethel to get the services they need. And what our coalition is really hoping to do is build up the services here so that if people want to live and thrive where they're from, where they have their family, where they have their community support, that they have that option. Because really that option isn't um, very solid right now. Senior Program Officer at Covenant House Alaska, Josh Lowers, who made the trip to Bethel to speak at the open house, echoed these concerns. We're based in Anchorage. 60% of the young people we serve are Alaska Native, and over half of those young people come from this region. Um, and so we have been thinking for a long time, how can we help young people here lift up and stay here and get services that they need here so that they don't need to end up coming to Anchorage unless they're coming for opportunity. Um, and After the speakers had finished, Feitner led the 20 or so attendees around the building's circular layout. What I can do is show you the staff apartment yeah, the layout. Go. My room's also a mess, but I can... Uh... The rooms are centered around a well-equipped community kitchen. One of the young new residents made a brief appearance amid the commotion and then disappeared back into her room. Everyone's like, are you sure it's not a dorm? What's my curfew? When do I have to leave? Can I put a push pin in the wall? And I'm like, we'll learn together that this is your home and your space and you have room and you have support and it's going to, like... It's an excellent jumping off point, and we're just really, really excited. Feitner said that Tundra Youth Home is only the first step. The explicit intention as we sort of gain traction and have more um, diverse funding sources is to expand through more villages on the Waikiki Delta. Eventually, the attendees of the open house began filtering out, leaving the new residents to finally have the pizza party they had been waiting for, marking the start of a new chapter in their lives. In Bethel, I'm Evan Erickson.